This is Transparency, a podcast by Gender Dysphoria Alliance, hosted by Aaron Kimberly and Aaron Terrell. Each week we'll be joined by people who have personal or professional experience with gender dysphoria and physical transition. We'll also discuss how our trans experiences relate to the concept of gender identity. Join us for a compassionate yet heterodox approach to the question of trans. All right, welcome back to Transparency, everyone. We are here um, this week with Miyoko. Um, Miyoko, I first learned of you on Gothic's channel. You did a really fascinating and well done um, panel presentation um, with, um, trying to remember everyone that was there. I mean, I remember Buck and, and Blair White were there and, and Marcus Gibb and um, one other person whose name I, I don't recall, which I feel I don't recall yours, but, but I'll put it in the liner notes. I'll actually link to to that panel conversation in our in our notes because it was a really great conversation. But thanks for for joining us on our podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, this whole thing is kind of new to me. I um, so basically what happened with Gothics is that I commented on one of her videos. And um, I can't remember what the video was, but it was something to do with race, obviously. And, um, and, and the issue was, there was an equivalent issue with trans issues. So I said, you know, this is what they do with trans people and whatnot. And, um, and she commented, she replied to my comment and she wanted uh, to collab with me. And, um, you know, we exchanged emails and stuff like that and went back and forth and discussed some things. And, and then, yeah, it just kind of happened like that. And so now, you know, doing uh, uh, roundtable talks and stuff like that is, uh, it's a new, it's a new thing for me, but I like it because I get to share my point of view, which I realize is not common. So, but all the while necessary. Yeah, I mean, we feel similarly that things, some of the things that we believe in and say um, through the Gender Dysphoria Alliance aren't kind of the mainstream trans narrative that people are used to hearing. But as to how common it is or not, it's really hard to say because I think those of us in the trans community that feel like we do have kind of dispersed and are just getting on with their lives and we're not necessarily hearing from them. So I'm not kind of counting on there being more of us um, that have heterodox views than than you know, the, the mainstream media gives the impression. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it takes a while because once you, I guess, transition, there's a bit of brainwashing that happens uh, because of the types of people you meet and the socially acceptable doctrine, I guess, within the community. So you, you start off by believing certain things and you know, those ideas tend to make you feel good about yourself, but they're not necessarily uh, based in reality. So um, it takes a while to separate yourself from those views and ground yourself. Um, and I feel like a lot of people in the trans community are just not ready to, I guess, accept their reality because, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's not as nice. But once you do, it's better than what it was before, than the lies that you were telling yourself before. So, um, yeah. And then obviously when, you know, you have a lot of, I guess, because the trans community is not necessarily the same as 
the gay community because within the gay community it's very out in the, in the open and uh it's very social but with the trans community um generally we transition and just move on with our lives and so you know there's kind of a separation and a lot of lgbtq issues we kind of see it almost as a separate uh problem altogether because we can live heteronormative lives so yeah before we launch into some of the issues i'd love to just to get to know you a little bit um can you tell us a little bit about yourself um yeah well uh i don't know i always find it awkward to talk about myself i never know where to start but um generally i guess i am a trans woman is people might obviously know, but um, I started my transition when I was 13. And, um, but I wasn't on hormones. I didn't start taking hormones until I was 21, I believe. Um, And and so like, because I started so young, I had a lot of issues with my family and um, I was able to explore myself at a young age because I ended up getting kicked out because of transitioning and stuff like that. Um, And sorry, what year was that? This was 2003. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So things were a lot different back then. Um, not a lot of people even knew what trans was. I didn't even know what the word was, but I was transitioning anyway. Like I, I had no idea what was happening to me. I just knew it was happening and I couldn't stop it. And, um, but there were no, uh, I didn't know any older trans people. I didn't have any friends from the LGBTQ community. Um, I didn't meet any people from the LGBTQ community until I was 15 turning 16. Um, but by then I was already, uh, living full time as a girl, I guess. So, um, but yeah, there's that. And then, I mean, other things about me, I'm a musician. I sing, I write, uh, produce. I grew up kind of at my dad's studio. My dad is a professional producer. Um, so music is a big part of my life. Uh, I'm also a gamer and I'm a dancer. Uh, I teach dance here and there. Um, generally pretty an artistic and creative type of person. So when you started yeah. your, your social transition at 13, did you stay in school? So what I did, was, <laughs> so what I did was, um, I went to school as a boy and I went everywhere else as a girl. Um, I was living a double life. So my parents didn't know, nobody knew at first. And it's so funny because just in case people did find out, like maybe, um, I don't know, maybe I met like I, you know, because when I was young, a lot of guys would come up to me and talk to me and stuff like that. And, you know, when we're getting to know each other, I'd always tell them that I had like a twin brother just in case, (laughs) just in case they, you know, maybe saw me going to school or something. And I just use that as a cover up. Um, But yeah, I was living a double life. um, And slowly but surely people started finding out and it was it was uh it was a hot damn mess so 
what are some of your, because I imagine there was quite a bit leading up to that moment that you made that decision to transition. What were some of your experiences or maybe earlier in life um, that you remember and, and now you know, kind of looking back on it, attribute it to gender dysphoria? Um, well, I remember always being feminine. I was always feminine. And because I even look feminine like I've never had any surgery done on my face this is my natural face um and I don't take hormones anymore so I was only on hormones for like two years and you know whatever it did is gone so um I've always looked like a girl and as a kid or even my mom would tell me like as a as a baby um you know people always just assumed that I was her daughter and um and she didn't like that um, but I always had long hair and stuff like that. Um, so it made it even more difficult to kind of tell that I was a boy. Uh, but anyway, I was always very feminine. And I remember I was four years old and I told my mom that when I grow up, I'm going to get a vagina. <laughs> she was like, not in my fucking house. <laughs> absolutely not. Um, and, and that was that. But I was always very, very feminine. Um, just in terms of like, uh, my interests and my mannerisms, I, you know, it was really hard for me to hide it. And so I was picked on all the time. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I was also very athletic as well. So I wasn't like typical, like, oh, I only want to play with Barbie dolls and, you know, I only want like to like I mean I only like the color pink or girly stuff like that I like to hang out with girls and I uh related to girls more but I was also um into being physical and uh being very athletic and competitive and stuff like that so I feel like my interests in general were kind of split down the middle but it was more so my behavior itself that was just very feminine and um, and I just felt like a girl, like that was just kind of my perception of myself was always that way, that I always felt like I, I was a girl. Even when I was in uh, elementary school, um, I started telling my classmates that I was a girl and, um, and I, and I gave them, uh, I told them my real name was Michelle <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and, and some of them were starting to believe me. And, but I just remembered feeling so comfortable and I was like, oh my God, yes. Like this is, this is, this is what I want to be. Like, this is how I want to be perceived. And, um, and then one day someone, because in the apartment building that I lived in, a few of the kids from my school lived in the building and, um, somehow word got around to my mom that I was telling people that I was a girl in school. And then, uh, the next day she took me to the barbershop and cut off all my hair. So um, that was one of the most traumatizing experiences I've ever had as, I mean, just in general, actually. Um, and, uh, and then after that, I never went to school without wearing something on my head. I would always have like a bandana or something on my head. And, and that would always get me into trouble because you're not allowed to wear, you know, head, headgear or any type of, unless it was religious, um, and I would fight it all the time, you know, anytime a teacher would tell me to take it off, I would say no. So that was like a huge thing for me. Um, 
But how were the other kids towards you? Um, it was really weird because I was always very popular in school, but I also felt like I never had any friends. I was popular because I was always the fastest kid in school. I was always very athletic, but I also had art scholarships. So I was always very like artistic. So like I was very talented, um, but I was so weird and different from all the other boys. And, you know, the girls were very wishy-washy with me. It was like, they really liked hanging out with me. But then when a cute boy would come around, they would like join in on like the kind of bullying and stuff like that. So I've never felt like I had any real friends in school, but everybody knew who I was. So it was a very strange kind of experience because I know most people when, you know, they don't have friends in school, they're kind of a nobody. Um, but for me, it was just like everybody knew who I was. And um, but then at the same time, I never really had any real friends. You said when you started your your transition um, that not much was really known about trans yet. And, and, and I think you said that, that you didn't even really understand the concept of trans at that time. Um, so when, when, how old were you when you first started to kind of make sense of that and, and learn about other trans people? And how did you understand your experience at that time? Um, so I was about 15, turning 16. That was because, so when I got kicked out, um, I was living in a shelter in downtown Toronto. I'm from Toronto. And um, I was living in a shelter. and that was kind of my exposure to a bunch of different people. Um, and the shelter was near the gay village in Toronto. And uh, because during the day in the shelter, you're not allowed to stay inside, you have to go out and do stuff. So I would just walk around downtown. And one time I bumped into a girl that I went to high school with and it turns out that she's a lesbian and um, she, me and her were hanging out and she asked me if I've ever been to the village and I had no idea what she meant. I was like, I have never heard of it. I don't know what it is. And then she took me to the village and I was shocked. <laughs> I was seeing men holding hands and, you know, like it, it was just something I've never seen before. And I couldn't believe such a place existed. So after she took me there, I would go there every day when I would, you know, when we'd leave the shelter because I was just so fascinated. And, um, and then one evening, um, I walked a bit further than the village and there's this street, Jarvis, Jarvis Street. And it's a street where a lot of uh, transsexual prostitutes work. So I bumped into one of them, an older, much older trans uh, woman. And, um, and she was just like, oh my God, you're so beautiful. Where are you from? And how old are you? And whatever. And then she asked me if I had an advertisement on the internet. And I was like, no, I don't know what you mean. And she's like, you need to make an advertisement. You'll make tons of money. You're gorgeous and whatever. So um so then that's how I ended up getting into sex work because I don't really, I haven't really had the time to talk about sex work on uh, my YouTube videos or anything like that, just because it, I mean, hasn't really happened naturally, but so that's partly what I do. And um, because of getting into sex work, that is when I learned a lot more about 
being trans and um, meeting other trans women because even when you go to the village, you don't really see any trans women in the village just kind of walking about. Like maybe once in a while you might see one, but the village is mostly gay men and, and lesbian women. Um, so within the escort world or the sex work world, um, that was kind of the trans community. Uh, that was my um, introduction to the trans community. And uh, yeah, so I mean, I was, yeah, I was about 15 turning 16. Um, and that's when I encountered, you know, what trans actually is. Because for me, it was just kind of like, I thought I was the only person in the world. Like I was like, I felt weird wearing women's clothes because I knew it was wrong in a sense, but then it was, na- it felt natural. So it was just like, I didn't even know how to explain it to anyone um, because I knew it was strange, but I, I just, I, I didn't have the vocabulary to articulate what I was going through. And then, you know, meeting other trans women, it just, everything clicked. And I was like, oh, okay. So I'm not alone. And um, yeah. So. Well, so at they, that point was, sorry, was go ahead, work, yeah, it was sex work and, and being a trans woman, were those kind of synonymous in your head at that point? Cause it sounds like that was your only exposure was via, you know, sex work. So is that, is that yeah. kind of, they were, well, they were synonymous? I mean, that's not exactly what I thought at the time, but it was, Actually, I mean, yeah, like now that I look back, all of the trans women that I knew were sex workers. I didn't know any trans women that, you know, went to school and had normal jobs, like none. I didn't know any. And um, I think that's more common nowadays. Mm -hmm. But back then it was just I didn't know any. It was all sex work. So I guess you could say that Um, I didn't. Uh, actively think that, or that wasn't necessarily my perception, but, um, but yeah, now that I think about it, all of them, all of the trans women I knew were sex workers. No, it's like what? 2007, right? 2006 ish. 2006. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. One of the things you said um, when you were talking to, to gothics was um, about at some point you learned about this term homosexual transsexual mm-hmm. so do you do you remember kind of when you learned about that and, and your initial reaction to it that was very recently that was like three years ago um and <laughs> so on facebook there was this girl this trans woman um that i uh i don't know i don't know exactly uh, she was she, there was a trans group and in the trans group, she was posting a lot of like scientific um, science literature about being trans and stuff like that. And in that group, a lot of the girls in that group were not interested in that type of thing. Um, and so a lot of her posts were, they would get ignored. And for me, I was like kind of fascinated. So um, I downloaded, uh, what was the, it was called the the boy who would be queen or something or the man who would be queen I don't remember um by uh, Michael J Bailey and uh and I and I and I read it and um and it was really uncomfortable to read that um because first of all a lot of the things um were things that I experienced myself 
And then on top of that, you know, to kind of be confronted with this term homosexual, transsexual, it was like, uh, it was like a very powerful experience of cognitive dissonance. Like it was just my, the fabric of reality was tearing before my eyes. (laughs) Um, And I felt offended by it because most of my life, I always separated myself from gay men. And, um, and I always felt we were entirely different things. And so to be connected by this word was very offensive to me. And, you know, I just, I felt like I didn't want to read it anymore, you know, but at the same time, I was so curious because all of the other things that I read in the book were things, they were like textbooks. Like it was, it was like, it was like if I could read a diary that I wrote that never existed when I was that age of like growing up and being, uh, you know, having gender dysphoria um, and reading all of these things and remembering things that I thought, you know, that I've never really thought about before. Um, And, uh, and as uncomfortable as it was, the more I continued to read, the more it started to make sense. And the more it started to make sense, it made sense more than any other thing I've heard about being trans. And I was like, oh my God, like, this is true. This is real. I am a homosexual transsexual. That is exactly what I am. You know, there was no other way of looking at it. And that lessened my gender dysphoria. You know, like the accepting that it was like, it, it, it sort of, it, it, it peeled the veil away and it was just like, oh my God, this is me. You know, I don't have to pretend or I don't have to attach myself to words and, and, and ideas and concepts that aren't necessarily based in reality to protect myself, to protect my ego. Now I can be free. And it was literally like a weight lifting off of my shoulders. And, um, and ever since then, I've just been obsessed with reading the science literature and learning more about, you know, the, what transsexualism really is. It's fascinating that, that you say that because my experience is quite similar. Um, Cause I, I think I read Michael Bailey's book around the same time that you did probably um, because I, I reached a point because um, I was just starting to do clinical work because I, I was working with youth. Um, I'm a mental health nurse and our clinic was starting to do some trans care and I really wanted to do the work well. And I was seeing so many youth come in, but there, I could tell that there were different things going on for, for different youth. And so I just became very, meanwhile, I was kind of being, um, you know, forced to practice in a very certain way, not, not ask too many questions and just kind of rubber stamp everyone through. And um, so I started reading the literature as well and, and went back as far as like Blanchard and Bailey and, and Zucker and, and the psychologist mm-hmm. research. And when I read it, it's like, it's like this, like you mentioned the veil, like, you know, is this lifted? I, that, that's exactly true to my experience. It's like, it, I not only found myself in, in the homosexual transsexual description, though he was writing about trans women, not trans men, but I think there are some parallel experiences. 
but it also helped me understand the entire community dynamic that because mm-hmm. we're not all the same we're we, we we're different and and that's a, those differences are observable and I, and I don't just mean personalities because of course that's true as well but there are different types of gender dysphoria and that plays out differently um so I didn't I didn't I guess the part where I, that I didn't experience was I didn't necessarily feel offended by what I was reading but it was this like aha moment of I finally feel like I have some answers um, because I was curious too. Like, what is this thing that I'm feeling? I didn't have a language for it as a child. I it felt weird. I felt alien from others. No words to describe it or even communicate what I was going through. Now I felt like, okay, this research gives me, it's not complete, but it, it finally gives me a framework to understand this in a reality basis. And I agree that my dysphoria I felt so much relief from the inner turmoil having that answer. And where I felt angry is why, why weren't we given this answer in the beginning? Like I feel angry at activists for, for burying that information because it would have been really helpful as a child or a teenager or a young adult to have this understanding of myself. And would I, I I don't know if it's hard to say if I would have still transitioned or not, but it gave, it's given me so much relief from my dysphoria. I kind of wonder I don't know for sure that yeah, every, yeah. that every kid would transition. Like maybe a lot of kids just need this information. Right. Right. Yeah. I also asked myself that question too. Like if I knew this beforehand, would I have transitioned? Um, but I feel like the problem is that, um, you know, like with feminine, really feminine gay men um, tend to have, difficulty finding partners um and i feel like you know because when i was living at the shelter i wasn't allowed to be dressed as a girl in the shelter because it was a catholic shelter and um so i was bouncing back and forth between boy and girl presentation just like and, when you were when you were at school yeah exactly exactly Um, and, uh, what I realized, because I guess I do have some experience as a feminine gay boy, um, is that it's very difficult to, uh, find, you know, partners or romantic, uh, partners or even just a hookup because everyone in the gay community, every gay man wants or values masculinity over femininity. And, um, and for me, you know, it was just way easier being with, you know, men who are heterosexual, um, because they're attracted to who I am naturally. Um, they're attracted to femininity and I, and it was just, I don't know, like I've just, it was just more natural for me to be with guys who are more straight identifying. Um, and so it's hard to think about whether I would wouldn't have transitioned if I knew about this information, but I feel like it would have done a great deal of benefit if I knew about this information period, because I wouldn't have, um, there are a lot of things I wouldn't have done (laughs) and, and it would have saved me from, um, being, I don't know, all over the place with my ideology on being trans. Um, 
So yeah, definitely. It is a shame that, you know, activists are very against this information and are doing everything in their power to make sure it doesn't see the light of day. And that's kind of the reason why I decided to get on YouTube and to, you know, start talking because the way that it helped me, I think everybody deserves that kind of help, you know? So, yeah. Well said. The truth is liberating. It is, it is, and it may hurt and it may be uncomfortable, but the end result is completely worth it. I think it's going to be really important too, because we're seeing a lot of um, political pushback on everything trans around the world. And I think it's really hard to navigate some of those really difficult questions, like how this gets written into law and stuff. If we're not grounded in the reality of just our body and our biology, we still get to be trans and continue living our lives. But I think, I think those conversations are very threatening and very frightening if people don't have, aren't grounded in the reality of, of who we are as transsexuals. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's why, you know, I kind of, now I'm just against any kind of ideology regarding trans because I don't think it it's, it's ideological. Um, I feel like it's biological. It's like, it's something that happens. And it's a condition and that's it. Like there shouldn't be an ideology attached to it. Um, And uh, yeah, and I feel like, you know, once you have that ideology, then you get this kind of cult following and and it just becomes what it is today that with the trans radical activists and and it's very hard to separate it from that uh, because I don't know, I guess those ideas make everybody feel special. Um, so, and everybody wants to feel special and unique and, and valued and protected. And, you know, when you identify as trans, it kind of, uh, it rewards you those things. So, um, something I've mentioned to you is, is we've had trouble. I mean, we've been criticized for not, um, you know, representing trans women as much as we represent trans men. And that certainly hasn't been intentional on our part. We've, 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 you know, love talking to trans women and hearing their perspectives, but we found so few willing to, to kind of come forward who are kind of similarly aligned, you know, to, to our thinking about this, who want to come forward and talk to us. And, and the reason that a lot of the trans women said that was the case was that most HSTS trans women live stealth, you know, this idea that we just sort of blend into the, to the world. And I think that's true for a lot of HSTS trans men as well. Um, would love to just kind of hear your perspective on that and why you think that's the case. Well, um, for me, I, I mean, I guess for, I kind of live stealth in one way or another, because I mean, I can, I pass and I don't need to tell people that I'm trans and in my day-to-day life, you know, it's not something that really comes up and, you know, I've worked at jobs and um, like regular jobs. Like I worked at uh, planet fitness and nobody knew that I was trans. And um, it's weird because I'm actually proud of being trans and I like to talk about it because I think it's a very interesting uh, predicament, but um you know, but at the same time, it's like, I don't want to overshare and, you know, tell people things that are really none of their business. Um, 
<laughs> I live downtown, so. <laughs> I mean, it's nice to be stealth. It feels nice to be stealth because you blend in society and you are just like everybody else. And ultimately that's what we want is to be like everybody else and to not think about being trans every day. And, um, but, you know, I guess in today's political, political climate, um, once you talk about being trans, it's like you get kind of labeled as an activist or, you know, like it's, it's just like people think that I'm, <laughs> I'm not an advocate. I'm not an uh, activist at all. Like I'm not interested in, in activism. Um, I'm not really interested in politics even. Uh, but I felt like I just kind of got dragged in by my ponytail into this discussion because it's like, everybody is asking me questions about what I think about, you know, trans women in sports or what do I think about uh, transitioning children or, you know, like all of these different topics that are coming up, all of these different discussions. And because I'm a type of person where I like to, I'm very protective over my friends. There's something in me that makes me feel like I want to kind of protect the community, even though I'm not, you know, I'm kind of anti-activism and I, and I don't want to be labeled as an advocate or anything like that, you know, but it's just kind of like, no, like the truth exists and all of these activists are covering it up and it's pissing me off. So I, I need to say mm -hmm. something, but, um, you know, I would rather not, um, because, you know, my life is peaceful as it is. And, and, and that's kind of what living stealth awards you is, is, is a peaceful life that you can have. Um, and you just kind of, you know, you, you blend into society, you assimilate, you're like everybody else and you have the same opportunities as everybody else. And you say you have the same access to things as everybody else. The idea that, you know, trans people are not, don't have access to healthcare and all that type of stuff. I, I find that strange. I don't know any trans person who doesn't have access to healthcare, maybe in like remote like uh, areas or something. I don't know. But like the, the idea that trans people aren't, don't have access to healthcare, housing and employment is bizarre to me um, because even if you're not stealth, you can get those things. And I've definitely seen trans women in particular that are visibly trans and working normal jobs and going to school and clearly they're on hormones. So they have access to healthcare. So it's just like, and I'm assuming they live somewhere, you know, like, and it's just, I, I don't know. I feel like they just push these ideas that are not based in reality, but you know, the, I, I feel like being stealth is, is comfort. And, and that is the reason why most trans would rather not jeopardize that, um, especially because there's so few of us. So, you know, when you are trans and you do speak up, it's like all eyes are on you and it's, you know, you're definitely compromising um, your comfort for that. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you that it's, I think of it as it's a condition um, and I don't want to build my entire identity around having a condition. I just want to get on with my life. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of people have created this whole identity and a whole culture around being trans and that that has never appealed to me. Yeah, me neither. I, well, I think when I was a bit younger, it did. Um, but now it's just like, 
really annoying. Like, I, I don't even like saying that I'm trans just because it has a certain connotation to it because it now it sounds like I'm trying to be special or that, you know, I believe certain things. Like there's so many things attached to that word now. And um, a lot of those things I just do not believe in, I don't associate with. And, um, and I never use the word transgender to um, describe myself. Anytime somebody uh, asks me, you know, some, or they say something about being transgender, I'm like, I'm not transgender, I'm transsexual. And I always make that distinction because I think transgender is, you know, it's the ideology and um and i don't support it so when you start when you first started getting those those questions and kind of got wind of the ideological direction things were going in did you have that response did were you thinking oh this isn't representative of me or were you also thinking um you know things are going in a direction and i feel like i'm kind of obligated to speak out or i feel like i could I could have some some benefit to speaking out or like preserving the transsexual idea or kind of what, what were those motivations there? Well, back when everything started to kind of, I don't know, when, <laughs> when everything started to get extreme, I didn't really have a distinct idea or a distinction between transsexual and transgender. <laughs> um, but the main thing that kind of, made me question things and, and kind of, I don't know, it put me in a position where I was kind of politically lost is because of the fact that when I would have discussions with people on the internet and uh, usually heterosexual people, and um, uh, it would usually be under a post of someone that's trans and they're in the media or something like that. And um, during this time, I believed that trans women were women. And so I was coming from that uh, angle when arguing with people on the internet. And all the time I would get hammered by facts and reality. And all I had was my fantastical ideology. And it was like, you know, bringing a knife to a gunfight. And I got sick and tired of losing those arguments because I was like, I just couldn't, I didn't have anything to say that didn't sound like a fantasy. Mm -hmm. And um, also, you know, I guess I didn't completely believe it when I said that, uh, that I was a woman or that trans women were women. There was always something in the back of my mind that was like, uh, no, you're not bitch. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, so there was always that. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then, so I, I was already inclined to, to go in this direction, but it was when I got introduced to the science literature that I was like, oh my God, this is what I've been looking for. This is what I really believe deep down inside. And I just didn't mm -hmm. have the information to support it. Um, and uh, yeah, so it, and it was then that I started to make the distinction between transsexual and transgender because transgender means literally anything you want it to mean. Mm -hmm. And transsexual is very specific. And for me, I didn't really, like when the whole non-binary and gender fluid and uh, gender non-conforming 
identity started to be pumped out, um, I didn't understand it. And, and those were the people that were, you know, championing the transgender name. And, and, and I was like, uh, yeah, I don't really agree with that. And that's not really making sense to me. That doesn't really seem like something concrete. Um, because what are the prerequisites? Like, how does someone know that they're non-binary from gender fluid? Like, what exactly is the difference? And if I say I'm non-binary, what, like, what, where's the proof, you know? Or like, what, what makes me non-binary? I mean, for me, I dress like a tomboy a lot of the time. I still wear men's clothes. And I like the, I, I always liked the tomboy aesthetic. Like I loved the look of women that wore boyish clothes and, um, and, and were women that, you know, weren't afraid to play sports and that type of stuff. So I was never really like into the super hyper feminine, you know, high heels and tight bandage dresses and that type of stuff. Um, so for me, it's like, I could easily just say I'm non-binary, you know, because I wear men's clothes and I wear women's clothes. Right. Because to me, that's all non-binary is, is that you don't like the way society tells you how to dress because of the sex you were born. And so you wish to smash the binary and wear whatever you want. And, you know, like, it's fine to do that, but to, to, to make it into this like identity, and then also to try and support the validity of that identity you attack biological sex and say that sex isn't binary. And it's just like, okay, I think we're getting a little too, a little too far here. Like, so, um, yeah, I mean, that, those are one of the things that really made me feel strongly about, um, not identifying as transgender and specifically identifying as transsexual, um, because the ideologies are just way out there. It's funny when you were saying that you were you were trying to argue, you know, you're coming from the perspective of trans women are women. You were arguing that angle. And I certainly did my stint doing doing the same thing. But it is around the time that you get wind of all the ideology that are saying, you know, like not just trans women are women, but all these non-binary identities. And there is no there is no requirement to either one that you start to go, wait, wait, I am full of shit, too, because, you know, <laughs> you know, the, the more the more extreme makes you realize how your your semi extreme was also yeah. full of shit. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you have to abandon it. <laughs> yeah, the cognitive dissonance that the, that the ideologies cause is almost worse than the gender dysphoria. Oh, totally. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Because you have to defend it all the time. And, mm -hmm. you know, even with people that aren't necessarily, uh, you know, educated in this realm of like, uh, I don't know, uh, evolutionary biology and psychology and all that type of stuff. Everyone knows what the truth is. Right. Mm. So it's like you're always being you're always being put in a position where you have to defend your ideology because it goes against the truth. And. I don't know why people want to live like that. Like, I don't want to live like that. I don't want to have to constantly defend my ideas to people um, because they're not based in reality. It's like, I don't know, but it just sounds like a miserable life. It seems like so much of the, like the trans women or women, trans men or men, I think everybody, including ourselves, we kind of understood it somewhat to be kind of like a, a polite language game. Yes. 
you know, and then the, the, the activists came forward and they're like, no, this is literal while at the yeah. same time not changing anything about their physicality. And, um, and so then you, yeah. So when it stops being like a polite language game that we're playing to facilitate, uh, you know, people with gender dysphoria uh, and, and becomes this, this concretization of an absolute nonsense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It crumbled for all of us. Yeah. That's why I decided to um, correct people when they uh, tell me or when they say, oh, so, you know, as a woman and da, 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 and I'll be like, I'm not a woman. Mm-hmm. I'm a trans woman, you know, or, you know, I'm a male or I'm a man. And now I'm so detached from that word, man, like it doesn't sting me as much as it used to before. Um, and the main reason why I do this is because of the fact that biological sex or the concept of biological sex is under attack and also like for me as Mm -hmm. an ex-athlete um i was in competitive gymnastics competitive track and field and um and i also did competitive cheerleading and uh and these are sex segregated sports and except for competitive cheerleading um where it's co-ed um but i know for a fact that if I were to run against a female, I would leave her in the dust. Even like the fastest female in my school couldn't even come close to me. Um, and in terms of gymnastics, the men's events and the women's events focus on totally two different strengths. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're not going to have a female come into the men's events and dominate that's just never going to happen. But a male could easily dominate any of the female uh, categories. Um, and that just, that just goes to show how different our bodies are based on sex. And if we're going to start saying that trans women are women, so we should be allowed to be in sports, um, I will gladly stop calling myself a woman you know, because it's bullshit. And Mm. even now in my current state, I haven't worked out in like five years. Um, And, you know, I haven't been on hormones in a long time neither. Um, But I'm not in, I'm not in, I'm not in tip top shape, but if I were to get into a fight with a female, she's eating dirt. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, and I don't have to, you know, do anything like I like that. It's just it is what it is. Right. Because when you fight, you're using your upper body. Males have more upper body strength. Right. And um, and that's also applies to gymnastics where the men's events are more focused on upper body strength. And um, so it's like, I don't know, I I will gladly relinquish my identity as a woman to advocate against trans women or males taking over female sports. So yeah, like that's Mm -hmm. just, I can't really get behind the, the, I guess, destruction of, of biological sex um, in order to make, you know, a fringe identity feel comfortable. Like it's just, I don't know. But, you know, (laughs) 
I sometimes feel uncomfortable talking about it just because as a trans man, it doesn't impact me in the same way that it impacts trans women. But the sports issue is so obviously wrong. Mm-hmm. The, re- the reason I speak out about it isn't to bash trans women, but I think the the hatred towards the trans community that it's fueling when we do things mm-hmm. that are so obviously wrong and unfair to other people, we're yeah. not doing ourselves any favors to just live you know, um, to just get on with their lives and live life integrated into our societies if we don't care about the society around us. Exactly. And I think that um, when it comes to sports, like the whole thing about being trans is, is sacrifice. You have to make sacrifices. And when it comes to uh, sports and trans people in sports, trans women in sports particularly, because I don't think men would have a problem with trans men, um, uh, competing against them, but um, with uh, with sports in particular, if I were still an athlete, I would compete against men, and and I and I think that that is more admirable admirable instead of instead of competing against women. You know, we have a physiological advantage, and if you want to push that advantage or uh, if you really want to push your skills to the limit and, and, and if you're truly competitive, then you would compete against men mm-hmm. because scientifically you are still men. Like we we're still men, you know? And if you really care about sportsmanship and, and, and being a great athlete, you know, you would, you would compete against the best in, in your biological category. Um, but you know, I get called all types of names and stuff by other trans people that think I am a transphobe for saying stuff like this. And it's just kind of weird to me because I feel like they are the real transphobes because they don't accept what it means to be trans and they would do anything to um basically make trans people the equivalent to cis and and it's just like we're not cisgender that's why that word exists in the first place that's why the distinction exists in the first place um and you know we're not women we're not female you know, and <laughs> when they go down the line of, oh, well, what's a woman? What's a female? You know, what, what are chromosomes? And like, like and it's just like, it, it's so intellectually dishonest and just, oh, I don't know. It, it, <laughs> just thinking they're, they're about accused, it making me sweat. They accuse uh, everybody of wanting to erase trans people. And that's exactly what they're doing is erasing trans exactly. people. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I hate that talking point. And it's like, oh, you're trying to deny my existence. It's like, how the no, hell does a person demonstrate do that? your existence? <laughs> exactly. Like, I, oh my God, just the, the language they use is so manipulative and, 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 and just, oh my, I don't know. It, it just, it drives me crazy. It really does. Do you have much contact with the trans community anymore? Um, well, I do. Uh, it's funny because I still um, coach dance in, uh, in, in the LGBTQ community. And so there are a lot of people that are, I guess, 
non-binary or gender fluid and all that type of stuff. And um, <laughs> there was a time when we went out for dinner and it was me and a couple of people on the team. And, and I just like, I can't remember what discussion we were having, but I guess it had to do with politics. And I said out loud that, you know, I do not support non-binary people. I do not support their ideology. And then um, one of the kids was kind of like, I'm non-binary. And I was like, I was like, well, don't take it personally. It's nothing against you as a person. It's just your ideology. I do not agree with, and you can be however you want to be, but don't create a concept of, of an identity that requires the participation of everyone else in order to validate it. You know, it's, it's either you are or you're not. And it, it, it shouldn't require external uh, factors to make it work. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and that's kind of my point of view. It's like, yeah, dress however you want to dress. Look however you want to look. Um, but once it starts requiring the participation of other people, and then you get people who don't agree with it, and then you want to label them as some sort of hateful bigot and all that type of stuff. It's just gone too far. It's gone way too far. Like, are you doing this for you or are you doing this for attention? Like, that's kind of why, you know, I'm very iffy about people who identify this way because it just kind of seems like they just want attention and that they want to be, it's like a cheap way of, of being unique. I think for a lot of them, though, especially the younger ones, it's like you have to identify as something. And if you if you actively identify as cis, which is how they see it, you're actively identifying as an oppressor. So it's like if if you that's really how they think, you know, that's how how in, in the social justice framework, that's how it's understood is like if you're if you're cis and heterosexual, you are an oppressor where all you have to do is change your your pronouns to they, them, and say that you're non-binary and you're automatically, um, you know, nullified of any, any wrongdoing that you, Mm -hmm. you know, the original sin of, of not being a marginalized person is, is done away with. I can't imagine what it must be like to go to high school right now. Like it, because that's where all of this shit is happening. It's like, it came from the universities and now it's being, uh, integrated into like, you know, kindergarten to grade 12. And, um, and, and you're right. People are forced to identify as something now. Um, identity politics has gone too far. It's gone way too far. Um, because I never identified as anything before. Like when I was growing up, there wasn't, that wasn't a thing. Never started a conversation as, oh, I identify as, or, you know, or, or to, to, when you engage in a discussion and you'd say, oh, well, as of this, that, and whatever, whatever, like, it, it's just, <laughs> it's yeah. just weird. Yeah. It's the creation of, of social media, it seems. Well, yeah, it, cre- mm-hmm. it was created in, in the universities and then those people got hyper online. I, I don't really know the trajectory of it, but it's definitely, um, it's, it's inundated the culture, however it got here. Yeah, definitely. And one of the consequences too, like, you know, what you were saying, like growing up, you didn't have an identity. It's not like you, you know, invented a trans persona in order to have an identity. You had an experience of gender dysphoria, which 
over the, you know, as, as years went on, you slowly underst- started to understand. And my experience was the same. I mean, I'm, there was no, I had no concept of trans or gender dysphoria growing up. And we certainly didn't have all this identity politics. And one of the unfortunate consequences of the identity politics is, is it seems like more and more people that not just trans people, but the public in general can't separate the ideology from transness. And they think, well, yes. if you take away the ideology, trans wouldn't exist because they, they don't, that's the consequences consequence, I think of burying the evidence about gender dysphoria as a condition is they really don't think that trans exists outside of, of the ideology. They think we're just, this is all just fake identities. (laughs) (laughs) That's really interesting because a lot of the ideology now doesn't apply to uh, older trans people. Um, because we lived like, I mean, I think my generation was the last generation of the original transsexual, like where we weren't tainted by ideology, um, because it just didn't exist. And, um, you had to to encounter it organically, not from the outside influence of the internet. Exactly. And that's why it is so easy for me to be comfortable as I am. And it's so easy for me to read. Well, I mean, it wasn't necessarily easy, but it was a very short, um, it was a very short adjustment period when I started to read the science literature um, to, to realize that this is the truth. Um, whereas if, it, if there were someone that was completely indoctrinated by the ideology, they would have a longer and harder time kind of taken in that information. Um, But for me, and, you know, a lot of older transsexuals, um, they don't really understand this ideology. And it's like, if, if you, to conflate the ideology with being, with the state of being trans, um, you know, it, it kind of erases the other generations of trans people because we didn't have that ideology. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. how is it that we existed? You know, how is it that we were able to be trans um, without that framework that is being used right now? And, uh, you know, th- that's just kind of why I think it's bullshit ultimately because um, it just happened yesterday. Like it just came out of thin air yesterday. Um, There's no history to back it up. There's no science to back it up. It's all about emotions and um, fantastical ideas that, you know, feel good when you say them, um, but have no bearing in in reality. And, uh, you know, and it's, and it's, it's also offensive to other trans people. Like, um, for me, it's, it's offensive. Like when people tell me that, you know, you don't need gender dysphoria to be trans and it's like, well, what the, (laughs) why did you transition in the first place then? You know, like, because if I didn't have gender dysphoria, I would not transition because it, it, I lost a lot transitioning. Mm -hmm. Um, I lost all my friends from school. Um, I was ostracized from my family um, it made my life significantly harder, right? So I don't understand why anybody who is not going through gender dysphoria would want to transition. Because to me, I look at transitioning as a last resort to fix 
you know, some, some problems that you have, some inner problems that you have. And so it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a form of treatment. And if you're, if you don't have the illness, not necessarily trying to say that, you know, gender dysphoria is an illness per se. I mean, it can be, but like, if you don't have an illness and you don't need the medicine. So that's why that's, that's the way that I look at it. And with, you know, doing away with gender dysphoria and saying that it isn't necessary just makes the whole trans identity more easily accessible to people who don't want to sacrifice anything to, 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 to claim transness. It's like the ideology has taken the place of the illness for a lot of people that because they believe in the ideology, then they identify as trans as, as an identity and then seek transition. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, you know, they end up ruining their lives because they're not really trans. And then they, they, they put themselves in such an unfavorable disadvantaged position because now they have to like constantly fight for this ideology because now they wear the ideology every day when they leave their house, they have to, you know, deal with the stares of people looking at them because they look, you know, like they don't belong or they're going against the grain and they're dealing with the consequences of that. Um, and, uh, and then they, they, they internalize it as, oh, well, society is anti-trans. And it's like, no, society is not anti-trans because once you actually transition and you assimilate into society, you function just like everybody else. But, you know, with this ideology, it kind of embraces the, uh, I mean, the point of it is really to, destroy the societal norms all of the social constructs they want to destroy it and so um it's really radical and 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 when people kind of want to adopt it in a casual way it's like you can't because it's always going to be radical being identifying as non-binary is radical and um there's no other way to look at it and you're going to experience those consequences of people look i mean i feel like people are now are, are they don't really want to say anything um people are less confrontational than 10 15 years ago um but still you know you're going to deal with some unfavorable social interactions and uh and i feel like you know a lot of people are just not ready for that but they want that identification of being trans. And then um, in order to justify it, you know, everyone is a transphobic bigot. They, um, I see it as kind of like, what, what you're describing is I see it as kind of like they're, they're sacrificing their bodies at the altar of, of queer theory is essentially mm -hmm. what's happening. And we recently spoke to Alice Drager. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with her. With her. She wrote a book, um, Galileo's Middle Finger about Michael Bailey's uh, the reaction to the man who would be queen the book you mentioned mm -hmm. in the beginning so sorry that's a circle that I didn't really need to go down but basically she was we spoke to her recently and she was saying that she sees it as almost like an act of bravery um, what these young people are doing and I I can't see it that way I, I see it like they're victims of a social trend and they mm -hmm. don't really I don't think that they're going into this with their eyes wide open. I, I think it's 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 they are kind of socially pressured into taking this hardcore trans activist position. Um, and I think it's going to I think we're going to we're going to see the backlash for many years to come. Um, but, but also what you were saying is like it, 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 they're almost creating a self-fulfilling prophecy is that they're saying that the society is transphobic. 
I need to have these marginalization points in order to be a valid you know, person in this, in this society. Cause if you're part of the oppressor, oppressor group, that's you're evil, whatever. So they're basically, you know, doing this kind of like halfway transition to be this kind of queer person, this, this non-binary presentation. And then when they, when they literally exist on the margins like that, um, where, where, where people don't know where to place you societally, then, then you're going to feel actually marginalized and actually ostracized because people aren't being hateful. They just don't know where to position you categorically and that's going to make you kind of socially isolated and give you that that is a self-fulfilling prophecy of being being discriminated against um it's a it's a whole whole bullshit storm and it only works within that queer bubble as soon as it breaks down yeah exactly like i said i don't necessarily want to be an advocate or Uh, an activist or any of that type of stuff, but I understand the necessity of this information reaching more people. Mm -hmm. And I am willing to put myself out there to do just that. Because the thing is that when I have conversations because like I mostly hang around heterosexual people. I um I my closest friends are gay, but because I don't only operate within the gay community and um, I've made a lot of heterosexual friends. I just kind of, I operate in the heterosexual or the heteronormative realm of society. Um, So I talk to a lot of straight men all the time and um, you know, and they ask me, or sometimes they're afraid to ask me certain questions. And um, when I share with them, my views, they're just like, oh my God, like that makes so much sense. Like, that's what I think, but I'm afraid to say anything. Mm-hmm. And even when I speak to, you know, um, heterosexual women, like uh, I actually filmed a movie last year. Um, I landed a lead role in a film and um, we had these drivers that would pick us up from our hotels and drive us to set and then drive us back uh, to our hotels. And um, my driver was a female and she, uh, she has... Um, I think she has like a three-year-old son or something like that. And like, it's funny because like the whole month that we were filming, she had no idea that I was trans. And I thought that she knew because I was playing a trans character in the movie. So I thought maybe she would put two and two together. Um, But the very last drive I had with her, I was talking to her about something and I just said, oh, you know, because I'm trans and whatever, whatever. And then she was like, oh, she's like, wait, you're trans? And then she just had like a whole, like, she just like, she couldn't even believe it. Um, And she's like, I cannot believe this whole time that I was driving you. I had no idea that you were trans. And then she started like asking me these questions because she was curious about what to kind of look out for with her son, because she thought maybe if her son starts like exhibiting certain behavior, like what should she do? And I was like, just leave him alone. Like, don't do anything. Just leave him alone. Let him be him. Let him, you know, express what he wants to express. But, you know, once he's old enough, he will know what he wants to do. You know, you don't need to interfere. All you have to do is just be supportive. Um, but also, you know, with a, uh, with a, with a firm hand and, and know that if he wants to make any um, life altering decisions that he should do so when he's of an appropriate age. Um, but, you know, I feel like a lot of parents, get bullied into expediting 
transition for their children because they don't want to be deemed as bad parents. And also they don't want their, 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 their children to commit suicide, even though I'm pretty sure that almost never happens. Um, but it's just that, that narrative that's pushed around all the time is, oh, if you don't, if you don't trans your kid, they're going to commit suicide. Um, and it's just like, it's weird for me to think of that because for me, even though I knew I, I knew I couldn't trans, like I knew I couldn't transition as a kid. Um, but you deal with it, you know, like mm-hmm. you, you deal with it and, and eventually you're going to become an adult and then you can make an adult decisions. Um, and, uh, and for me, it wasn't necessarily the end of the world. It was uncomfortable. Yes. Um, it was uncomfortable to be told to stop acting like a girl because I'm a boy, um, and you know, it happens, but when you meet that, um, when you meet that ad, 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 adverse reactions to the way you behave, it builds character. It builds it, the a thickening of the skin, you know, um, and, and you develop more, but when you kind of coddle these people into, you know, uh, affirming every single little thing they say they don't develop they don't develop uh maturity they don't develop um any character um because they basically go through their whole lives with their uh training wheels on and elbow pads and and knee pads you know and then the helmet like they don't they don't feel anything they don't they don't know how to actually uh have their own identity and not feel the need to defend it. Because I feel like if you are who you are, you don't need to defend it because it's just the truth. Like it's just, you just are, right? Um, as I'm sure most people don't need to walk down the street and defend, you know, who they are because they are who they are. But um, but there was, I, I kind of like went down a rabbit hole. It was a good one. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> I was trying to like say something very specific um about that woman who your driver yeah so yeah so so just just basically like in general having these conversations with heterosexual people because a lot of heterosexual people believe like their their beliefs are are um are aligned with ours but because our beliefs are seen as, I guess they're not very popular. Um, a lot of people are afraid to voice them. A lot of people are afraid to express them. And this is what I love about interacting with, um, with heterosexual people is that I get to tell them, you know, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. You know, um, and I feel like a lot of these people that are on the extreme left, they never interact with heterosexual uh, people, never interact with the heteronormative um, majority of society. And so they just live in this echo chamber and they never develop decent arguments because they just kind of sit around sniffing each other's farts all day. You know, <laughs> they never actually develop a way to uh, strengthen their arguments because they never really experienced that counter argument because everyone's like, oh yes, yes, yes. Whatever identity you are, absolutely, totally affirmed, you know? Um, So I feel like a lot of people in the trans community need to start 
interacting with people outside of their community more um, because it's very, very helpful. And you will see that people who are not trans are not assholes, you know? Uh, there are a lot of nice people out there, um, a lot of nice heterosexual uh, people. And, um, and, and, and it teaches you that society isn't anti-trans, you know? So, um, you know, I, I, was, I, I did a video the other day that I'm actually gonna be posting soon. It's about transphobia. And, um, and I was going through, uh, I was reading two articles from Medical News Today and I was uh, reading the definition of transphobia and they changed uh, the word transphobia to cis sexism. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, and I was just going down everything that they were saying and just kind of like, no, this is not what happens, you know? And it was basically saying that society is anti-trans and has anti-trans biases. I'm like, how does society have anti-trans bias when trans people make up like 0.78% of the population? <laughs> how does society come up with a bias against us? You know, it's like either you either you assimilate or you don't. And if you don't, you're going to be treated a certain way. That's it. It has nothing to do with being trans. It's if you don't, it, it you know, one of these things is not like the other. That's the name of the game, right? And when you're not like the other, then you get ostracized. That's it. It's as plain as simple as that. Um, and, uh, yeah, like, I mean, just going through the definition of, you know, cis sexism and internalized cis sexism, because a lot of people tell me that I have internalized transphobia because I don't agree with the narrative. And I'm like, how do I have internalized transphobia? Like, I love being trans, you know, like, I love that I've been able to live this unique, uh, I've gone down this unique path of life and, um, and, and I would probably do it all over again if I could, you know? Um, yes, it's hard, but it's also very rewarding. Um, and, uh, and I don't feel that, you know, society is anti-trans as a whole um, because I've been able to get around just fine, you know? And I've been able to make a lot of unlikely friends. I hope a lot of young trans women or, or um you know, those with the dysphoria who are, you know, young and still exploring their, their gender, I really hope that they hear your voice and, and voices like yours. I mean, that's, you're, you're a fantastic role yeah. model. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I definitely hope so too. Uh, there, there was a, on the film that we were filming, um, uh, because it's about three queer kids and they're all like 12, 13 years old. And one of them is trans. And she's already like on hormones and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, I want to like, I was fighting not to say anything because like their, uh, her parents were there and stuff like that, but she's a trans girl. And, um, and she was just so sensitive about everything. And um, in the movie, because um, her arc in the movie she basically starts off as kind of non-binary but then she eventually becomes more specific and is a trans girl um so in the beginning uh she has these uh braids in her hair They're, her hair is braided back and she's like oh my god I look like a boy and you know she was just having a crisis and I was like you literally look like a black girl with her hair braided like calm down like it's not that serious you know um, and she just had this very specific idea of what a girl should look like. And because she wasn't ex 
she wasn't uh, portraying that she was having a crisis. And I was trying to teach her that, you know, uh, do you think women get up every morning and have a full glam squad and, you know, leave their house looking like RuPaul? Like they just don't, you know, a lot of women just roll out of bed and get on with their day, you know, and, um, and that can look like anything. And so I was trying to tell her that, you know, you're already a beautiful girl. You don't need to try. You don't need to try to, you know, um, uh, put on extra femininity in order to, you know, validate yourself as a girl or however you want to validate yourself. Like the way your hair is, it doesn't matter what your hair looks like because you still look like a girl and you should, um, and, and you should feel comfortable that way. Um, and, uh, and, I, and I told her having your hair like this is going to build character because you're going to see that you can look like anything and still be perceived as a girl and still live your life how you want to live it. You don't need to have 30 inches of hair and, you know, long lashes and a face full of makeup to let it be known that you're a girl, you know, because that's not what being a girl is. So, you know, it, it was a very interesting uh, experience for me because I don't like kids. <laughs> I don't like kids. For me having to like, you know, I, I, I felt like I had to step up because I was the only other trans uh, woman on set. And, um, and I felt like I needed to say something to her because she's a sweet girl. But like, personally, I wouldn't have transitioned so soon, like, like medically anyway. Um, because I, you know, I think it's, it's, it's okay to, well, I think it depends because with me, I had no support. Um, I started my transition at 13, but the way I transitioned was just, it was socially more than, you know, medically. Um, and, and, and that was fine for me, but, you know, I'm a different type of person and, um, I can handle myself with, uh, when it comes to confrontation and, and, and stuff like that, but not a lot of trans people can, most trans people are very sensitive and very emotional. And, um, you know, with her, it was like just having braids. She was like having a complete meltdown. And, and I just really wanted to make sure that if she took anything away from that experience of filming, it was that, you know, a girl is anything a girl looks like anything you know it's 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 not about you know uh nail polish and lipstick and all of that type of materialistic stuff that we think you know makes a woman it's not that like you have to accept that you as a human being is going to look different all the time and your sex is very insignificant most of the time. Like it, it's not that important. Um, and I think that when you become, when you, when you transition, you think that your sex and your, your, your gender expression is everything, you know, that it, that it's, it's, it is the focal point of your being. And it really isn't, you know, it, it's a really sad way to live because there are way more uh, interesting things about being a human being than your gender or your sex. Um, but yeah. You're saying interacting with with straight people. I mean, my observation is most straight people they can accept the reality of us. You know that we don't need to create this whole 
this whole fiction to, to make it more palatable, they're, they're willing, because they already don't believe that fiction anyway. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and they're willing to accept us. But what they care about is character. What they care about is that we just show up in life. And, you know, if they're a coworker that we, that we fulfill our responsibilities, that's what they care about. They don't care about our identities and, and whether we're trans or not. Exactly. And that's uh, an example of that is with Dave Chappelle and um, and Daphne. I can't remember her last name, um, but, you know, uh, Daphne as a trans woman um, was able to open for Dave Chappelle uh, to open for one of his shows. And, um, you know, Dave Chappelle is deemed as one of the biggest transphobes of our generation. And for him to allow this trans woman to open for a show, um, even though she wasn't particularly that great. I mean, he said that she bombed. Um, but the thing was that after she opened for him, she was sitting in the front row and, you know, anytime he looked at her, he can tell she was having the time of her life. And, um, and she was still in, in, in high spirits and enjoying herself and being a good sports, uh, being, uh, being a good sport. And, um, and you can tell when Dave Chappelle was talking about her that he had such great respect for her. And it's that character, like you said, like if you actually have something to offer aside from your identity, you can easily get along with most people. You know, and and most people will treat you with respect. Um, and I feel like the com- the trans community is missing out on that. You know, because all they have is their identity and their ideology, and without it, they're just kind of empty. And it's just really sad. And um, and then they blame the world for that. And it's just like, what can you do? True story. Well, thank you so much for, uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you, Miyoko. I'm really glad that you agreed to come on and, and meet us and see what you have to say. You, you've articulated things so beautifully. So I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Transparency Podcast. If you enjoy our content, please help out our algorithm by hitting like or subscribe. If you'd like to make a donation, follow the link to our PayPal account. On behalf of the Gender Dysphoria Alliance, thanks for your support.